A few announcements uh, to, to make this morning, to, to be aware of, to be thinking about. Uh, the first one is uh, inside the bulletin, I'm not going to take the time to pull it out, but, but inside the bulletin there's an insert because J July, almost said June 11th, July 11th uh, is Orangeville Day. Not, not the one that we normally do, but uh, Orangeville community has decided to throw uh, their Orangeville Day back on the calendar. So that's July 11th, and they are asking our church to help with the games. Uh, so I think that's a great opportunity. Uh, and so inside the bulletin, there's a whole bunch of different things that we need to run those games, uh, to make them happen, and we need people to fill the slots uh, to help host those games. Uh, and maybe you have a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, or somebody you want to invite to come help you do that. Uh, but we just need a whole bunch of people to sign up for that. Again, that's, that's July 11th. I believe the sign up is out there. Is that correct, Clarine? Is, sign up for it on here. Give it to who? Give it to Clarine. Everyone knows who Clarine is? She's waving her hand. All right. Uh, so she's the one to give that to. She's the one coordinating all this. We're super thankful for her. Uh, and just a great opportunity to love our community with the love of Christ. Amen? We talked, we talked last week about uh, doing good works, not for the cause of salvation, but as the result of salvation, and this is a great way to do that. Uh, that also ties into our growth groups. Uh, if you're not a part of our growth groups, I just really want to encourage you to become a part of our growth group. That's what we call our small groups. Uh, that's a core way to be involved here at Orangeville Baptist Church and to be getting to know one another. It's also a core way, a core strategy here to be reaching out to the community. And so starting this week, uh, all the groups are going to start reading through this book. It's called Loving Your Community. Uh, it's by Pastor Steve Viers. I think a number of us are familiar with him down in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, their church has, has modeled extremely well how to love your community with the love of Christ. And so we're going to start reading through that together as a church family, uh, through the growth groups, uh, to, to get us as a church to be reaching out to our community more and more and more. If you want more information about the growth groups, just come ask me. We have different groups that meet different times of the, the week, uh, or there's information on our website. Uh, just a, a couple of the things I want to announce. Uh, when, you, when you walked in, uh, you maybe saw, get rid of that, you maybe saw these that are, I'm losing things as I do this. <laughs> That were, that were back there. Uh, they're for different ages. What these are, because currently we're not running children's church, we're not running Sunday school, we don't have the nursery open, uh, but we're super glad families are here with kids and we want to encourage that. And so inside we have age-appropriate bags with activities for the kids to do uh, during, during the service. Uh, so those are hanging up right behind the sound booth uh, in, in the foyer. Uh, and then we have these clipboard ones for middle schoolers uh, those are in, in the foyer there also. I encourage you to grab those, take those, use them. They're not doing any good just hanging up there. Uh, we want you to take them, use them, fill them out. And starting in a week or two, we're actually going to have a prize for all the kids who do that. Uh, it's just, again, trying to encourage digging into God's Word. Uh, so that, that is that. Uh, the only other announcement that I have is, actually two more, uh, July 12th which is the day after Orangeville Day, July 12th, we are planning an outdoor service. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. We're thinking about doing it over there across the street, so that's July 12th. And then the other announcement is through, 
through COVID, you guys were getting used to getting weekly updates and emails from us, yes? Hopefully you were getting those and you were opening them. Uh, what we're going to start doing is every Saturday is just going to be a major communication day for us. And we're doing this so we can in part cut down on these announcements in the service uh, and get those announcements out on Saturday. Uh, so the thing with that is please look in your email, go to your email every Saturday and look for those, e those emails as they go out. Also, if you have an announcement that you would like to go out to the church body, we need that by Friday. Okay, and please send it to us the way how you want it written. Uh, and we are also going to, to ask that it's not super long too. So if it's super long, we're probably going to come back at you and cut it down. A certain amount of words. Uh, but that's, that's the plan, okay? So announcements mostly going out on Saturday. If you have an announcement you want to go out to the whole church, get it to us via email or in person or phone call by Friday. Okay? Uh, we'll keep announcing that for a few weeks to get used to it. But that's, that's it for announcements. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, just again rejoice to be here this morning. I'm so thankful that uh, your spirit is with us. And we just freely confess uh, that we are weak and helpless without you. Uh, and are so thankful for the word of God, the spirit of God, uh, fellowship in Christ that we have to guide us and to, to direct us, uh, to help us live lives that honor you and exalt you and magnify you. And Lord, we thank you uh, for the, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on the cross for our sins, uh, and that through faith and faith alone, uh, we are forgiven of our sin, we are justified in your sight, uh, we are being sanctified, we will one day be glorified and forever living and reigning with you in your presence with all the saints of God whom you have redeemed uh, from beginning to end. And Lord, just this amazing truth, we, we thank you for the solidarity that we have with you and with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, here locally and, and all around the world, that we are one in Christ because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we praise you and thank you for your great grace in many years ago, uh, forming and founding uh, Orangeville Baptist Church to be uh, light uh, in, in the darkness. Uh, and we, we just pray for our church body that during these times, uh, these uh, in many ways just crazy times, that we would be a church that is word-centered, that stays faithful to you, that we would not bow to the culture, that we would not be a people of fear, but that we would have hearts uh, that are full of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that that faith would help us to be bold and courageous. That in, in days and times like this, that we as a church body would be uh, bold and unashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for we know, we are convinced, that it is the power of God unto salvation uh, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. And we know that that faith is from faith to faith and faith alone. Uh, help us during these days, Lord, to, to just have this resolute faith. Uh, strengthen us, gird us up, Lord, to, to stand firm in you. And Lord, we are mindful that there are uh, just many different members of this body, many different things going on in each one of our lives. But Lord, we do in particular lift up to you this morning, uh, Doris's granddaughter, Amber. Uh, we pray for uh, the wisdom for the doctors there and just for continued healing and strength of her body. Uh, Lord, we do also just thank you so much for uh, just your 
uh, grace in giving to Nick and Elizabeth, their new little one, Georgia. And we just pray for Nick and Elizabeth as, as new parents, that you would just uh, help them to be godly moms and dads, uh, help them to uh, raise Georgia in the things of the Lord. And I, w- I would pray the same for Jessica and Francisco Car- Carrillo as they uh, think of their daughter, Nila, Lord, that you would just help them also to raise their, raise their new daughter in the things of the Lord, to be faithful parents. Uh, help us as a church to come around them and, and encourage them. Uh, we thank you for Eric and Morgan Drosky. We just pray for them as they're in Cleveland, that you would watch over them and uh, keep their, uh, their little ones safe and, and keep Eric and Morgan safe. And we just thank you so much for them. And I pray for all the, all the families, all the parents uh, represented in this, in this room, uh, that we would have uh, God-honoring families, that we would have husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church that we would have wives who uh, lovingly and willingly submit to their leadership as unto the Lord, and that you would help all the moms and dads here, even the, even the grandmas and grandpas, to just be raising their children and grandchildren in, in the things of the Lord, uh, and that you would richly bless these families, that each one of our families would love you most uh, and, and exalt you most and, and just be God-centered, Christ-centered families. And Lord, we think of the world in which we live. Uh, there is much about uh, just going on in our own country that greatly concerns us. Uh, it breaks our hearts. It, it seems like anger, anger has gone unhinged. Uh, and that people are just doing what they think is right in their sight, forming their own kind of justice, uh, their own way of doing things, their own so-called freedom. Uh, Lord, we, in times like this, it just makes us cry out and long for the day of your return. Uh, but until that return, I pray that you'd help each one of us to walk humbly before you and help each one of us to, uh, love, to love justice and to love kindness and to uh, do much for your namesake. I, I pray during, during this time that many would be running to you uh, as the only hope, the only refuge that is truly available, that we wouldn't be looking for that in politics or in government or in our own uh, kind of justice, but that we would look to you, the God of the earth who does all things right. Uh, And that this would just be a time of of great uh, revival, a great renewal, a great work of your spirit sweeping over us. And Lord, we know, we know we don't deserve it. We know in many ways we are getting what we deserve. But Lord, we're asking for mercy, we're asking for patience. We're asking that you would grant a great repentance to our, our nation, our country, our people. And Lord, I ask that that would start right in my own heart and the hearts of each one who are here this morning. And Father, now as we look to your word, I pray that your spirit would uh, strengthen our, our hearts to, to receive it, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things that are in it, um, that, that you would be pleased to draw sinners to yourself and to encourage those who already have saving faith. And I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you would, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Dave's, Dave's song was a great introduction to it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, and we're looking at a, a, probably a familiar passage. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And I'm going to go ahead and read that for us. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Then Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the reading of God's perfect word. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. Last week we started our new sermon series uh, that we have titled Next. We're calling it Next because in it I'm trying to show you, trying to lay before you uh, my vision for what I believe is next or what I hope and desire to be is next at Orangeville Baptist Church. And if you remember with me, this, this series, this, what, what we're talking about, this next, is based on our church mission statement. And our church mission statement is that we strive to be a Christ-centered community whose aim is to save the bees, right? To believe in Christ. What's the next one? Belong to Christ. Then what's next? Become like Christ. And then the last one is to build through Christ together. But the question is, what does that look like practically? It's great to have a mission, but, but how do we do that? How, how do we go about accomplishing that? And for that, we've developed this discipleship pathway that is designed to help each one of us to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. And so, so last week, I tried to give a big overview of that discipleship pathway. And again, it consists of those four B's, believe, belong, become, build. And I, I sought to show last week how the Word of God from Genesis all the way through talks about the Christian life as a journey or a pilgrimage or a walk. And that the Christian life is step by step by step following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tried to say last week too that there is no greater ambition, no greater uh, thing for our Christian lives, no greater calling than to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible calling, what an incredible privilege. And I, I hope you were encouraged by the message. I hope you're starting to get excited about what God is doing here for His glory at Orangeville Baptist Church. And I hope, I hope it makes you want to get involved at Orangeville Baptist Church. As I said last week, I'll say again this morning, at Orangeville Baptist Church, we are serious about discipleship. About coming alongside others and helping them walk the walk. About helping you to know Jesus and then imitate Him. We're serious about these things. We believe with all of our heart that the most loving thing you can do is point people to Jesus and then help them down the pathway uh, with Jesus. Life isn't worth living without Jesus. <clears throat> we understand that making disciples doesn't just happen. There's no such thing as, as accidental disciples. Uh, we need to be intentional and proactive about making disciples. We also understand that if we're not careful, we will drift from the mission. We will drift from the mission that Jesus left with us, that mission to make disciples. And I want to say that in the midst of all this craziness around us, the, the virus, the, the rioting, it's really easy to get distracted and to forget about why God has left us on this earth and, and what we're supposed to be doing. So I want to say as clearly as I can this morning, the mission hasn't changed. Amen? It hasn't changed. God is still on a mission to, to bring a people to Himself, to the glory of His Son, and He has sent us out to reach those people, and He's given us His Spirit and His Word to do that. In fact, I would say that in these days of darkness, there has never been a greater time to be a light of the Gospel. This, this dark world, the darker this world becomes, the brighter our light will shine. 
Now was not the time to bow to the culture. Now is not the time to walk in fear. Now is not the time to hide. The world around us is sprinting as fast as it can to hell. It's on a full head-on sprint. And we have the words of eternal life. And we have a mission to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an enormous privilege and responsibility. The Bible has answers to every question that our society is asking. Our society has question after question about war, about government, about abortion, about gender, about sexuality, about racism, about politics, justice, human rights. The Bible has the answers. has the answers to every one of those questions. I recently heard one person say it this way. He said, now is the time for the church to be the church, for the light to shine, for the salt to penetrate, for the gospel to explode, for the truth to prevail. Amen? Now is the time for those things. What is desperately needed is walking worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and helping others to do the same. Now the first step in the discipleship pathway to walking worthy is you must believe. You must have faith. You must put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I recognize uh, that the word faith and trust and believe, those are words we use a lot. And the question is, what do those words actually mean, right? What does it mean to say you believe? What's it mean to have faith? And honestly, I can't th- as I was thinking about this through the week, I, I can't think of a question more important than that. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith? What is all that about? And as I was thinking about that, praying about that, I couldn't think of any better passage to point to than to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Because Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 answers very clearly and plainly that salvation is by grace through faith. It's a very, very simple passage, and we're just going to dive into it with, with three points. Point number one, faith's nature. What is it? And by the way, if you're, if you're watching online, uh, on our website... The bulletin is on there and the sermon notes are on there. If you're here in the auditorium, you have, the, have your bulletin. The notes are in there, right? Uh, so faith's nature. What is it? What is faith? Again, we hear that word all the time. What does it really mean to have faith? Reality is everyone has faith. Not necessarily saving faith, but everyone has faith. Uh, if you're a gardener and you plant a seed in the ground, you have faith. Uh, When you're driving down the highway, you're putting faith in the drivers around you. You're putting faith in the bridges you drive over. When you walked into this building, you exercised faith that it would not collapse upon you uh, when, when you walked in. I've never seen oxygen, but I have no problem believing that I need it. And I can't live without it. Our whole life, from the time we're born until somebody buries us, is an exercise of faith. Faith constantly. Uh, Some endless succession of belief and faith and trust. I think the great common denominator for everyone, everywhere, is faith and trust and belief. But what does the Bible mean when it talks about faith? What's biblical saving faith? And we're going to break it down into three parts. Uh, The first aspect of biblical faith is knowledge. So what is biblical faith? It has three parts. The first part is knowledge. Before you can believe something to be true, 
you need to have knowledge or an understanding of the gospel. There is truth you need to know. There is knowledge you have to have in order to have saving faith. Faith or belief is meaningless lingo until we define what or who we have faith in. How can you say to a young person whose, whose only knowledge of Jesus is a swear word, how can you say to that young person, come to Jesus? They need knowledge. They need to know who is Jesus, right? They need knowledge of that. We must explain who he is and what he accomplished for us. There must be knowledge. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And the obvious answer is they can't. They can't believe in someone they've never heard of. They can't believe in someone they have no knowledge of. They must be informed of the facts before they can possibly believe. Learn from this then, please, that faith is not a blind leap in the dark. You ever hear that? It's just this blind leap in the dark. It's, it's, it's not. It's based on knowledge of God's Word. And this is why we are a Word-centered church. Because faith comes by hearing through the Word. And so our singing, our preaching, our fellowship, our counseling, our Sunday school, our, all that we do, it is Word-centered. There is nothing more relevant, nothing more powerful than the Word of God. And so for faith to happen, for belief to happen, there must be a knowledge of God's Word. We must know something about God and Jesus and ourselves as revealed in the Scriptures. Again, this is why the popular saying, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. You ever hear that? <clears throat> That's not true. We need knowledge. You can be as sincere as you want with your faith, but if it is based on wrong knowledge, it doesn't save. You can sincerely, with tears in your eyes, believe that Jesus did not die on the cross for your sins. You can sincerely, with tears coming down your cheeks, that Jesus never rose from the dead. You can, you can have faith that you think that's true. It will not save you. You can, with tears coming down your cheeks, sincerely believe that all roads lead to God. But that's not true knowledge that will not save you. You must believe the right information about God and Jesus himself. And so as we're talking about biblical faith, what is it? That first part is you must have biblical knowledge. The second part is you must assent, and that's A-S-S-E-N-T. Assent to that knowledge. Or you could say you must agree with that knowledge. It's probably an easier way to say it. Agree to that knowledge. Uh, assent means to believe that something is true. Because again, it's possible to know something and not personally believe it to be true. You might know that the Bible says you are a sinner but you might not believe or agree that that is true. See the difference? You must not just have the knowledge, you must agree that that knowledge is true. You can know all the historical facts about Jesus, but if you don't believe they are true, it won't save you. Let, let, let me put it this way. Knowledge says Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Assent says I am persuaded 
and believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's the difference between knowledge and assent. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul writes, uh, and you can hear the agreement, the assent, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So you must have knowledge, and you must agree that that, that, that knowledge, those truths, are true. But still, it's not saving faith. Because I want to tell you something. Satan believes those two things. Right? He, he knows who God is. He knows who he is. Uh, he, he knows these truths. He doesn't argue with them. But he's not born again. <laughs> right? And James says the demons believe these things and they tremble. They tremble. So the third crucial aspect of saving biblical faith is trust. It's knowledge, then assent, and then trust. You must have knowledge of the facts, you must believe those facts are true, and you must trust in Him. You cannot stop short of this self-commitment to Christ. You must stop relying on yourself and rely on Christ alone for salvation. Let me put it this way. It is one thing to know that Jesus died for our sins. It is quite another to know He died for my sins. It is, is one thing to say Jesus is the Savior of sinners. It is quite another to say He is my Savior from my sin. When I was 14, some of you probably heard me tell this story before, but when I was 14, my family moved from this just huge metropolis of Cherryfield, Maine, a uh, population of like two or 300 people, uh, to a place called Lockport, New York. And Lockport, New York is not very far from Niagara Falls. My dad was a pastor, we had company all the time, and guess where they always wanted to go when they would come visit our family? <clears throat> they always wanted to go see the water going over the cliff that is known as Niagara Falls. <clears throat> as a teenager, I got pretty sick of going there. <laughs> Uh, but one thing I, I discovered about the, the Niagara Falls is, and, and perhaps some of you know this already, uh, but is that early on uh, there were quite a few daredevils with the Niagara Falls, and they used to do a number of stunts, and one of them was people would tightrope over the Niagara Falls. Can you imagine <laughs> uh, doing that? There was one who would do it pushing a wheelbarrow. Uh, and he would perform the feat repeatedly. He'd do it two, three, four times in front of everybody, and then he would ask, turn to the audience and ask them some questions. He would ask them, number one, can I walk across the falls pushing this wheelbarrow? And the crowd would say, yes. That's knowledge, right? They had knowledge that he could do that. The, the, the truth, the fact was, he could do that, because they saw him do it repeatedly. Then he would ask them a second question, do you believe that I can do it again? And again, yes was the answer. That was a sense. Not only did they know the fact that he could do it, they knew the fact that uh, they, they believed it to be true. Then came the third question, and you can probably already guess what it is. The third question was, will you jump into the wheelbarrow and let me push you across? That's trust, right? That's where real faith comes in. Faith knows that Jesus died for sinners. 
Faith believes that Jesus will save sinners who come to him, but to truly believe, you must believe that you are that sinner and that Christ died for you and throw yourself on him. That's faith. You must get into the wheelbarrow. You must put it all on the line. Another way to illustrate that is growing up, uh, I went to a camp called Camp Northfield in Northfield, Massachusetts. It was a Christian camp. We went there every summer. Uh, and at that Christian camp, they had a ropes course. Uh, and to do the ropes course, we had to do a number of smaller little things to kind of show that we're ready to get on those ropes and do some of those daring feats. And one of them was just a really simple uh, faith, faith trust kind of, kind of activity where uh, an individual would stand like this and someone who you trust, though that wasn't always the case. Often you just got paired with whoever you got paired with, and you kind of don't know this person, but you had to stand like this, and someone is behind you, ready to catch you. Uh, and you would have to say things like, are you ready? And the person would say, yes, I'm ready. Then you'd have to say, I'm falling. And the person would say, fall away. And then you just let yourself fall back, trusting that person will catch you. That's biblical faith. It's just a total falling back into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting he will catch you, he will save you, he will redeem you, he will forgive you, he will do what he has promised to do. That's what faith is, it's acting on the promises of God. And he has promised, if you recognize your sin and place your faith in him, that he will forgive you, he will save you, he will redeem you forever. That's, that's the promise of Scripture. And I'm, I'm spending some time on this because I'm persuaded a great number of people think they have saving faith, but they don't. They have those first two aspects. They have the knowledge and they agree that that's true, but they haven't actually committed or given full trust to him. I know that because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that when he returns, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things in your name? And Jesus says what? Depart from me, I never knew you. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this morning you have knowledge of the facts. You assent that those are true, but you are not trusting Jesus. You have not gotten into the wheelbarrow. The great matter at once is for you to believe. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Fall into his arms. Someone far more clever than I uh, with the word faith came up with this acronym. I think, I think it's pretty good. So faith, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. That's biblical faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. This morning, if you have any doubt where you stand with the Lord, now is the time to make certain. Now is the time to make certain. Come all the way to a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that has knowledge, a faith that agrees, a faith that trusts, that throws yourself on him completely. So that leads to faith's source. Where does faith come from? Where do you get it? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And the question before us is that word this. So again, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, what does the word this point to? Right, that's, that's the question before us. Uh, what, what is that little word this, what does it refer to? 
And actually, there's two grammatical options. Option number one is that the word this uh, refers to faith as being a gift of God. So, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, your faith, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Certainly, that's very true biblically. Saving faith is a gift from God. Philippians 1.29 says, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. So, two things in Philippians 1.29 have been granted as a great gift from God to you. One is to believe. It's a gift from God. In Acts chapter 18, verse 27, Luke tells us that when Apollos returned to Achaia, it says, quote, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. See, it's, it's a gift. Faith is a gift. Belief is a gift from God. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. That's one grammatical option. The other grammatical option from Ephesians 2, verse 8, is that the word this isn't just referring to faith, but it's referring to the entire act or work of salvation. So verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is referring to all of that. The whole event from beginning to end. Uh, justification, regeneration, adoption, sanctification, grace, faith. All of it from beginning to end is the work of God. Let me ask you this. Were you the one who sent the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world? Were you the one who uh, put him under the law? Did you lay all, all the sins on him on the cross? Did you send for Christians to share with you the knowledge of the Savior? Did you change your own heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh? Did you do those things? No way. God did those things, right? God did those things. God did all of it. Salvation is not my work. It's not your work. Although you must believe in Jesus, even that is part of the gift of God. If you have any doubt about that, the Word of God says in verse 9, just to make sure we really get it, verse 9, uh, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is emphatically not your works that save you. Salvation cannot be obtained by works. God designed it this way because works tend toward boasting, right? Uh, we would, if we were saved by works, we would pray something like, Lord, I thank me that I have saved myself. We don't find that in the Bible anywhere, do we? What do we find repeatedly? Lord, I thank you. I thank you. It's the exact opposite all the way through Scripture. Salvation, all of it, is by grace. It's the gift of God, and I praise God for that. Because if it in any way depended upon my works, what I do or don't do, then I would have no hope whatsoever. And I would have no assurance whatsoever. Let me just, just ask you a question. If, if salvation is possible by works, how much work is necessary for salvation? Right? If, if salvation is, is possible by works, how much do you have to do to get saved? And, and let me just come at it from this way too. Let's just say that, and this is impossible, but just for the sake of argument, that someone actually worked hard enough to earn salvation. What happens when you sin? What happens when you sin? What do you need to do then? How many good works do you need to do before that sin is absolved? If it is possible to obtain salvation by works, how much work is necessary to maintain it? I hope you can just hear the despair in those questions, right? 
If salvation is by works, there's no guarantee of salvation. There's no assurance. All you can do is just kind of hope that when you get to the end, it's enough. If that's you this morning, I hope you're hearing Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and you're beginning to breathe a huge sigh of relief because you're realizing it doesn't depend on me. Amen? That's the most greatest freeing truth that, that, that there is. It doesn't depend on me. It's the gift of God. He freely gives out of His grace and His love and His mercy. And notice verse 10 where it says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You are His workmanship that He created. Did you create yourself? Of course not. Did you create your own salvation? Of course not. But God in His grace will do that through faith. Through faith. It is God's work. What is the source of faith? It is God's gracious gift. It could never be anything else. If you have a hard time swallowing that still, if you still in some ways, I'm, I'm amazed at how ingrained this is in the people's thinking, if you still think that somehow you can earn your salvation, then you need to go back and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Because if you think you can do enough to please God, you have yet to reckon with what the Bible teaches about sin and just how sinful you are, and I am. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Not mostly dead, right? Deader than dead. Spiritually dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You weren't just sick. You weren't just floating on top of the water, splashing your hands like crazy, I need help. No, you're 10,000 miles under the sea. Deader than dead. No hope of saving yourself. Not just that, verse 2 says, in which you once walked, notice that theme of walked, following the course of this world, uh, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived or walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. I don't see how we get salvation by works out of that, do you? Not even close. But then I love verse 4. Don't you love verse 4? But God. There it is. Right? But God. This was true of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following Satan, uh, uh, caught up into the, the passions of the flesh, under the wrath of God. But God. That's grace. But God, who is what? Rich in mercy because of the not just love, but the great love with which he loved us. Why? I don't know, but he does, and he did, and we praise him for it. That's grace. He, he did this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, so we haven't done anything to impress him at all, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Praise him, yes? By grace you have been saved. We could never do it in of ourselves. We didn't deserve this, but God in His love and His great rich mercy has saved us. If you think you did something to earn it or deserve it, it is not grace. If you think God owes you because you do your best, it is not grace. If you think it's by baptism, it is not grace. If you think it's deeds of kindness, it is not grace. 
Salvation is by grace through faith alone. If you insist any other way, you will never be saved. So I plead with you this morning to renounce your works. Simply to thy cross I cling, right? That's that song we sing. I have empty hands. I'm simply clinging to Christ. He's my hope, my salvation, my righteousness. And if you, this morning, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then give him the praise and the glory that he has so graciously saved you. <clears throat> Point number three. Faith's goal. What is the purpose of faith? We've considered what it is. Uh, we've considered how he goes, God goes about doing it, but what, what about why? Verse 10, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So why does God save us, right? That, that's the question. Why has he saved us? Why has he given us this great gift of faith and salvation? What does verse 10 say? It says, so that we will do what? Good works. Good works. I, I think that's important. Listen, good works are not a bad thing. I think sometimes as Baptists, we hear the good works and we kind of like do this cringe. Because, rightly so, we, we strongly believe that works are not the cause of salvation. The Bible makes that very plain. But we often miss the opposite side. We pendulum swing too far. and We miss the fact that, yes, works are not the cause of salvation, but they are the result of salvation. One person believes that. <laughs> they are the result of salvation. This is also important because it answers this common objection to grace. I've, I've encountered this quite a bit. That, hey, if you're saying salvation is by grace through faith, if you're saying God does this regardless of, of, of what we do, that all we have to do is place our faith in Christ, then doesn't that just mean I can just kind of do whatever I want and in the end God's going to save me? It doesn't really matter how I live. You ever hear that before? I hear that all the time. What does verse 10 say? No way, Jose. You were saved. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that you will do what? Good works. Good works. Why did God save you? For that reason. A genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will result in a life of good works. If you say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have saving faith, but there are no good works, there's no change in your walk, then your faith needs to be questioned. James chapter 2 says, faith without works is dead. Jesus saved you that you might bear fruit to the glory of God. In fact, so important are good works for a believer that our verse goes on to say that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's huge. You see, faith includes two concepts, faith and faithfulness. Uh, read Hebrews 11 and watch how faith springs into faithful action. Faith obeys. Faith works. God didn't go through all the work of saving you so you can just sit on your butt the rest of your life. He didn't go through all the work of saving you so you can just coast through life belly up down the lazy river, right? He didn't go through all that work. He goes so far as to prepare beforehand the works that you will do for His name's sake. You were saved on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. You are not an accident. You are, you are not here to take up space and oxygen. You have a mission, a journey, a path that God has prepared for you to walk. 
You are his workmanship, his work of art, his masterpiece created to display his glory to the watching world as you do good works that he prepared for you to do. And by the way, this rips the rug out of any boasting that we like to do. Because all the good works that you do, you're doing them because God prepared beforehand that you would do it. It's all to him. It's all to him. But it should also give you and I great encouragement this morning. When you wake up in the morning, I hope you have this thought. Today, I can walk in the good works. The, the loving Savior, who says I'm a masterpiece, his workmanship, has given for me to do today. That's encouraging, isn't it? It gives hope, that gives reason, that gives purpose. I read of a missionary who once uh, prayed uh, just as the plane was landing. He prayed, Father, thank you for the good works already prepared for us in Albuquerque. That's where they landed. Um, for the fact that they are waiting for us to step into them and experience them. That's the way to think. This, this new day before us and what's, rest, what's left with the rest of Sunday, that, that these good works that God has prepared for us to do, just waiting for us to step into them and experience them in faithfulness to, to our great God. Nothing that happens to you throughout the day is an accident. It's on purpose, for a purpose, from God. And again, that word, verse 10, workmanship. We are his workmanship. It's actually the Greek word poema, which sounds like the English word, poem. Uh, it, it's a word that just came to be used to mean masterpiece or work of art. Uh, think of a, a poem or a painting or a, a statue or a song. Uh, what well, scripture is saying in Ephesians 2.1, this is your identity by faith in Christ, that you are God's masterpiece. But what's different with this masterpiece is it's not supposed to be like hung up on a wall like a nice piece of painting for people to come by and go ooh and ah. Uh, but you're a masterpiece that has legs as to walk and to do good works uh, for the glory of the Father. Remember how we once walked back in verse 1 and verse 2? We used to, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That was the name of the street you were walking. Uh, trespasses and sins. That was your life. That was the course of your life. Trespasses and sins. But now because of God's rich, rich grace, He's recreated you to be his workmanship. You are now empowered to walk a different path, a different road, a road prepared for you, a road in which you might demonstrate his glory, his wisdom, his power, his love, his character. And Christians, isn't that what today needs? Isn't that what today needs? Christians, since God has delivered you from death and brought you into life, you have a purpose to fulfill. You have a path to walk. There is a world to reach with the gospel. There is mercy and kindness and forgiveness and love and grace to extend because God has done those things for us. And this is not a lonely walk. Again, verse 10. Notice the emphasis on community. For, it doesn't say, you are his workmanship. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that not you, but that we should walk in them. When you, by God's grace, place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were entered into a community of saints, a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. And none of us have it all together, but we are together. 
and we are all walking this walk and you cannot walk the walk that is pleasing to God and worthy of God on your own. We need each other. And guess what? That's next week's B, belong, right? When you put your faith in Christ, when you believe in Him, it leads to belong, walking with others in a way that is honoring and pleasing to Him. That's, that's next week. Don't want to get started on that one yet. Uh, until next week, the question I want in your ears is, where are you in your walk with Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Maybe as you've heard this message, the Word of God is working on your heart and you're realizing verses 1 and 2 is still true about me. I'm still walking in trespasses and sins. I want to walk with Christ. You've received how that happens. You've received the answer and how you go from walking in sin to walking with Christ. It's by grace through what? Faith. It's not by works. If that's, if that's you this morning, you have questions about that, I want to talk to you. Pastor Josiah wants to talk to you. Uh, we, we, we want to explain uh, how you can have the saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not here by accident. Uh, you are here on purpose, with a purpose, and maybe that purpose is that you might believe. Don't, don't waste the opportunity today. We're here. We, we want to talk with you about those things. If you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, then the next step for you is belong. Do you, do you belong with, with God's people? Are you belonging with them? And also as part of belong, are you boasting in Jesus this morning? Are you amazed at his grace this morning? Are you amazed that he has graciously saved you? Amen? Yeah. Amen. Uh, this time we're going to do what we've been doing the last few weeks. Hopefully we're starting to get, get used to the, the drill here. Uh, we're going to head out that way, and we're going to sing one song, uh, is, is what I was told. Uh, so we're going to dismiss by section, as, as we've been doing. I do want to remind you, uh, the offering plates are back there on the table. There's also water right there if you need a drink. Uh, grab a bottle of water. Uh, but I'm going to, you know, I, sh I should start, what I should start doing is I should dismiss by section based on how you respond to my message. <laughs> That's, that, that thought just hit me. That, that, that's what I should be doing. <clears throat> I'm going to go with my immediate right. Uh, you guys can exit first, please. <laughs>